It's Jim, it's the World of Bonds. It's Monday, the 9th of October, 2023. This is for professional investors only. Never, ever investment advice. Friday's US jobs data came in way stronger than expected. And so to sound like a scratch record, we made new cycle highs in US Treasury bond yields on Friday, with the 30-year US Treasury surging through 5% to about 5.05%. The consensus for non-farm payroll number for September that was that the US economy would have added around 170,000 new jobs in the month. It actually added 336,000 new jobs and both July and August numbers saw some upwards revisions there too. So this was the highest jobs creation number since January this year. And just uh, you know, to be clear, this is seasonally adjusted numbers. So um, traditionally, January would see a fall in employment because of temporary Christmas workers being let go. So um, it's always a slightly strange one. But on a seasonally adjusted basis, September's number was ahead of January's number. The unemployment rate was steady at 3.8%, and so these soft landing expectations leading to Table Mountain rate expectations are really dominating the narrative at the moment. Uh, and those US Treasury yields, as I say, made 16 year highs. Markets, though, haven't really repriced the Federal Reserve in, in any significant way as, as a result of those numbers. So um, we are still pricing in only a 40% chance of another Fed funds rate hike. So there's 40% chance of one 25 basis point uh, Fed hike by the end of the year. And we only have two meetings to go. So that's the 1st of November meeting and the 13th of December meeting. So it's worth noting that after that initial reaction of Treasuries, uh, yields rising dramatically, they did retrace uh, around half of that rise later in the day by the end of the, the day. Um, they'd come back down from where they got to post the number, still up on the day um, towards those highs. But this morning, with the news that over 1,100 people have died in the Hamas attack on Israel, and the implications that, that might have for the conflict spreading in the region, treasuries are benefiting from a flight to safety. Um, so in Asian markets, well, 10-year treasury futures closed Friday at uh, about 106 and three quarters, and uh, are opening in Asia this morning about a point higher at 107 and three quarters. And that's despite oil being up again on uh, fears of a, a wider Middle East conflict. The oil price was up about 5% to start with. It's now up about 3%. Um, and that's driven by speculation that maybe Hamas was aided by Iran or Israel will th think it was aided by Iran and that will be an, an escalation of the conflict further into, into the Gulf. Bond market volatility is high. Um, you measure that by implied volatility uh, that drops out of the Black Shoals model for those of you who've done your CFA or the proper exam before that, the double IMR, uh, for those who remember that in the olden days. So uh, implied volatility is rising again. Citigroup points out that there's been a change this year in where that volatility is being shown. So now it's in the long dated end of the US Treasury market 
rather than the short end of the US Treasury market as it was in 2022 when it was about rising rate expectations. It was the short end that was volatile. Now it's about term premium and uh, real yields. So that's really about the long dated end of the bond market. We're seeing more steepening of the Treasury yield curve. So twos, tens steepened up by about 20p last week and it's now 80 basis points um, steeper than it was since June. Um, Citigroup again suggesting that the long end is no longer anchored by Fed funds or short dated bond yields. The other bond move to note last week was a sharp underperformance of uh, Italian government bonds. Um, BTP's been relatively well behaved for quite a while now, but uh, you know, in the last week they've moved a lot, but really since June. They've started to edge a little bit higher. Um, they've been in the range really of uh, spread over German 10-year bonds of about 150 or high 150s to 170s. Been trading in that range throughout the summer, but last week it broke out of this range um, out of the 180s and now is above 200. So that uh, bund BTP spread is at 202 now at 10 years. And the trigger for this really, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a budgetary plan come out. So the budgetary plan document predicted big budget deficits for the foreseeable future. And the thing that's making bond markets nervous isn't really just that, but it, this comes at a time when the ECB bond buying programs won't be helping out um, with the supply implications of higher budget deficits. So, uh, you know, the big buyer, the big bazooka in the room isn't there anymore. And so that allows uh, BTPs to start underperforming. Citigroup point out that Italy is at BAA3 with Moody's and triple B with S&P. And they have reviews coming up for both of those. So on the 20th of October, S&P will review that triple B rating. Perhaps more worrying would be the 17th of November with Moody's. Moody's have Italy on outlook negative and they already have the, the sovereign rating at BAA3. So it's only a notch. Uh, it's on the cusp of sub-investment grade or junk bonds. So it only need one uh, one notch downgrade and Italy would move into the world of junk bonds, which would, I think, have some fairly significant ramifications for peripheral debt in general and would cause a lot of soul searching um, in, in Europe about what, what the ECB is going to do next. I think, therefore, given the, the scale of what that downgrade would do, I think the, the hurdle for um, S&P doing it, sorry, Moody's doing that downgrade is pretty high and so my guess is it doesn't happen this time round but um, markets are going to start worrying about that pretty soon. Now finishing up, well I'll finish up by saying that we've got US inflation numbers this week so um, there's an expectation of further falls there with core inflation dropping to around four, headline to around three and a half so all moving in the right direction there in the US with a bit of nervousness about the, the end of the year if uh, energy prices start to go up again and uh, the economy remains strong, but generally going in the right direction there. I'll finish up though with uh, my colleague Greg pointed out a paper by uh, Serkan um, Arsenlap or Arsen Alp of the IMF, Barry Eichen Green of the University of California. 
Berkeley. This is from Jackson Hole, so it's a bit old now. I hadn't read it. It was covered in The Economist too. It's a good summary of it there. And uh, the two of them in this paper set out some options for how debt to GDP ratios can fall from here and, and really pointing out it's going to be quite difficult for that to take place. They say historically the two ways of doing it are the austere, austerity-based and arithmetic bases. And the austere method um, is to, to get surpluses, i.e. get your primary surplus up, which is your surplus before you pay your debt interest payments. And this is the way that governments like Britain did after the Napoleonic Wars or France did after the Franco-Prussian Wars. Um, so, you know, that was how countries historically effectively got their debts down. Um, but it's a different world now. This is a world of high state spending because of ageing populations and the social safety nets that didn't exist in kind of Victorian Britain to the same extent. So welfare states weren't really in existence in those days. So they're saying that that's going to be a very difficult thing to do in terms of cutting spending to a significant degree. Could politicians raise taxes? And again, they quote some IMF research that shows that from 79 to 2021, to quote the Economist article, fiscal consolidations were less likely to succeed in cutting debt if they were driven by tax increases instead of spending cuts, um, because according to this, raising taxes harms economic growth. And so um, it, it, they think it's really got to be the, the growth bit that does the heavy lifting, which is what they call the arithmetic approach, which is either having strong levels of uh, economic growth, so getting growth and uh, the rate of growth above interest uh, payments on your debt in order to, to shrink debt to GDP ratios, grow the, the, the growth bit, um, even if you can't do very much about the D, the debt bit. And inflation is part of this equation as well. Um, arithmetic debt reduction can come through higher inflation rates. They point out in the paper that inflation, an important bit to note, inflation only reduces debt when it is unexpected. If bondholders anticipate fast rising prices, they will demand higher returns, pushing up the government interest bill. And that's really what the US is facing at the moment with the fact that it needs to refinance a third of its outstanding government bonds, you know, seven trillion worth of debt that needs to refinance next year. Um, and it's mainly borrowed that at the short end and will probably mainly refinance that at the short end, but that's at higher interest rates, 5% plus interest rates because people see that inflation has been above 5%. So short dated, you know, we mentioned that inflation number coming down to four, three and a half percent. Short dated bond yields are now above those inflation numbers. Um, so there's kind of a punishment that bond markets give governments that run high levels of, um, or, or where they expect perhaps some, can you expect unexpected inflation? Where inflation volatility is high and people have been burnt, then they'll demand higher interest rates on government debt. And so inflation that is expected doesn't help you with that debt equation. So in, in any case, um, that's another way. And the, the other thing they mentioned, which we've talked about a fair bit, is financial repression. So post-World War II, debt-to-GDP ratios did fall by about 
20% across the developed economies at the time um, from very, very high levels. But that was a combination of um, stronger growth, some higher inflation, but also financial repression, for instance, forcing people into the bond market by um, reducing interest on bank deposits and all of those sorts of things. So um, they're pretty pessimistic both about the prospects for what they call the austere method of reducing government debt and the arithmetic methods of reducing government debt. They point out that America's GDP is going to rise at a fairly modest rate, uh, maybe 2% in real terms over the next decade. And remember, America is one of the strongest potential growth rates of the Western world. So it's going to be tough. And um, Arslan Alp and Icon Green reckon that the best politicians can do is not make a bad situation worse, i.e. they're not going to really make any dent in these debt-to-GDP ratios. That's it. Bye.